0: The Lord kind of changed my message just a little bit tonight, and um, I I really want to share something that I feel like if I rebrand I Do Hard Things, this is going to be my ending message, and God gave it to me about a year and a half after I wrote this series, so you might be uh, in the beginning of this whole tr- transition so, you know, what we're talking about doing hard things well. I know I'm talking to Alaskan women that have been sitting in a gymnasium with the heat for 24 hours, with not a lot of movement, not a lot of complaining. So you guys, I, I'm, so, I'm so proud of you. But, you know, tonight I really want to talk about the process of once we go through this, like, responsibility, forgiveness, and hope, we're taking care of our yard, we get to a point where we're, we just end up being really, really powerful, And I want to talk tonight about one of the most powerful things that you possess that will keep you powerful. And this attribute is, it's a God, it's, when Jesus left the earth, he said he was going to leave us something. He could have left us a lot of things. He said he was sending the Holy Spirit. But he said he was leaving a particular thing. And this thing would be so unique that it would set us apart from everybody else in the whole earth. It would be something that would transcend every generation, every gender, every race, every country, ethnicity. This particular gift that Jesus came to give us was something we would need 4,000 years later and will continue to need. And that is he said this. Peace, I leave you. Tonight, I want to talk about the power of your peace. I want to talk about staying powerful in a chaotic world. And I want to talk about the fact that when we experience hard things in life, it can feel like we're being invited into the storm of our life. And yet, we're going to meet Jesus in the midst of it. If you have your Bible tonight, I want you to turn to the book of John, John chapter 14. And John chapter 14 is unique because, again, Jesus is leaving a gift to us, his words. I don't know about you, but I feel like everything is trying to take my peace. <laughs> let's just talk about politics. No, let's not. Can we talk about TV? And can we talk about... The church right now and the society and our generation and it feels like everyone's trying to take my peace. I remember us having our four boys and at one point I went to Costco I had all four of our boys and which is it's chaotic and um, we live in a place where I don't have family so my kids are with me often. And so I was in Costco and my kids, you know how kids will make you look like a genius halfway through your shopping and then they turn on you and it makes you look like you have never ever parented anything before? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like in the beginning they're like what cute kids and your kids are smiling and happy and by the end it's like d- like demons are coming out of their mouths and people are like what is wrong with you and you're like it's, we're 30 minutes past them being awesome. And so we, we go into Costco. I'm in line, and my kids are flipping out. And I, I, I paint my kids as chaotic and crazy, and I just want you to know that they really are. And I um, <laughs> my, my just got off the phone with my husband in the back room, and he goes, well, I go, what are you doing? He goes, well, I just bathed all four kids and the dog. I said, why did you do that? He said, well, somebody thought it'd be a good idea to throw Gatorade in a squirt bottle and squirt everybody and the dog down. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to go preach. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Anyway, so at one point, this is so funny. I feel like it's like our final night, so I'll say this. At one point, I told, I told my kids I was joking, and I said, tonight, you know, tonight, Daddy's going to go preach. And my third son looks at me, and he said, Mom, Daddy can't preach. He's not a girl. <laughs> I was like, my work here is done. <laughs> I will retire, which isn't true. He's seen a lot of men. It's just, you know, clearly i 'm the better preacher, but anyway i uh, i 'm teasing i 'm teasing kind of so um, so everything is trying to take our piece, so my kids are kind of chaotic, and this old man looks at me and he goes, "Are those all your kids? Because everybody always wants to know, like do you have a TV in your room like it 's always these jokes and And I said, yeah, they're all mine. And I was trying to have a good attitude as a mom that my kids were completely out of control. And I felt like I wanted to run away from my children. But clearly, their mom was not coming to pick them up because I was their mother. And so, as he said it, I put on my brave face. And I said, yes, they're all mine. And he looks at me and he goes, well, that just looks horrible. (laughs) I'm like, it kind of is right now. Thank you so much. But you know, in life, in life, You can't go throughout a day where something isn't trying to steal your peace. You know, if it wasn't so valuable, God wouldn't have left it. But there was a value to peace. There was something God knew. He could have said, I'm going to leave you faith. I'm going to leave you peace, a joy. I'm going to leave you healing. I'm going to leave you. And he didn't leave any of that. He said, I'm going to leave you something that's going to uh, be a dominant factor in the church. That's going to be a... Uh, A recognizable attribute of a Christ follower. And that is when you go through the storm, you're not going to lose peace because the storm isn't going to get inside of you even though you're in it. And so I want to talk tonight about staying powerful in a chaotic world and keeping your peace. You know, a peaceful life is a powerful life. A peaceful life is a powerful life. In John 14, 27, Jesus said, peace, I leave you. My peace, I give you. Not as the world gives you, do I give you. And then he says this, let not your heart be troubled. Neither let it be afraid. How many of you have felt a little bit of a pool that your heart might be a little troubled? Come on. How many of you have felt a little bit of fear try to come in? specifically when we hit hard things, it's always easy to worship God when things are at peace. I'm not, I'm not criticizing us because we will have times of peace. The Bible says there'll be times of war and there'll be times of peace and there'll be times of giving birth and there'll be times of, you know, abstaining. And the Bible says there's all these times, right? But there, when we're in the hardest season of our life is when we have to fight for a different type of peace than we've ever really had. And so when we go through hard things, we see peace differently. I love how the Amplified Version says it. Stop allowing yourself to be agitated and disturbed. (laughs) And do not uh, permit yourself to be fearful, intimidated, and cowardly, and unsettled. Gosh, I think that's pretty clear. He says it again. Stop allowing yourself to be agitated and disturbed, and do not permit yourself to be fearful and intimidated and cowardly and unsettled. If the author is saying don't allow, then that means we have power to either allow or not allow. If the author is saying don't permit, don't give yourself permission, then we either have access to it or we don't. And that's how clear it is. It's, it's interesting when it says don't, don't let your heart be troubled. That word in the Greek means to Agitate to trouble to a thing by the movement of the parts to and fro. So what it means is this. Don't let your heart be shook so hard that what you're holding on to gets shook gets shaken right out of your hands. Gets shook right out of your hands. Don't let don't let the 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 chaos and the shaking of your everyday life cause you to move back and forth and the turbulence of life to cause you to drop that which you once held. Some of us, in the beginning, we held faith for our future. In the beginning, we held joy for what God was doing. In the beginning, we were believing for healing and wholeness and restoration. But because life has happened, the hard things have happened, the trials and tribulations have come our way, there has been a shaking inside of us, and some of us have simply dropped what he once gave us. And what I want to talk about tonight is I want to give you an understanding of how to hold on to what he's given you. You see, we can be shaken, and we can let our peace go. Matthew 14, I'm not going to have you turn there, but Matthew 14 talks about the disciples going into the storm. And it's very interesting, and we said this a little bit last night, but when Jesus looks at his disciples, he says, I want you guys to go ahead, I'll meet you. But the reason Jesus exits stage left is because his cousin had been killed. He had been beheaded, which would affect him greatly. It was a joke. Being beheaded would affect him greatly. It's horrible. Okay. You guys are a little tired. Okay. So Jesus goes, I'm going to head out. It's interesting that even the son of God had to leave the crowd to grieve. It gives us permission that when we're in a hard season, when things are hard, sometimes it's okay to go away and talk to Jesus and say, I need, I need to talk to you. And so we see in verse 22, immediately Jesus made the disciples get out of the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had dismissed them, he went to the mountainside by himself to pray. And later that night, He was there alone, and the boat was already a considerable distance from the land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them, walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were what? Terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Jesus tells them to go out into the water. They go out into the water. They hit a storm. Theologians believe that this storm was nine hours long. And what's interesting about this, and we need to be aware of this, is that when it says that they go out on the water and they think they're going to die from hitting a storm, these guys are not lightweights. These aren't like vocate, like, like, um, Uh, you know, like a hobby of fishing. Like, hey, I'm done with my work. Let's go out and catch a little bit of fish. No, no. These men are vocational fishermen. And what it means biblically, if someone's a vocational fisherman, then it means that they grew up on the boat. It means that their dad was a fisherman, their grandfather, their uncles. It It meant that they went to bed at night smelling like fish. They were not afraid of the water. In fact, they were aware of what was happening. They felt more comfortable in the water and on the water, excuse me, than than on land. So they go out and when they say they thought they were gonna die, these guys aren't some, I feel like I'm talking to Alaskan women that might understand this a little bit. I feel like if I talk about fishing in Oklahoma, it's hard to explain this but I feel like your faces should be crediting me a little bit when I say that these men were vocab- how many of you know a little bit about fishing? Okay, so these men are out there and they are used to it. They have a fleet of boats. They're, this, they're not lightweights, they're not wimps, they're not like, you know, city slickers trying to figure out how to catch a few fish. No, no, these guys know what they are doing and all of a sudden this storm comes and they think they're gonna die. It's the storm of their life. They think this is it. We're doomed. I have hit some storms in my life. I have been around the block. I've seen my grandfather hit storms. I've seen my dad hit storms. I've seen my uncles hit storms. But I'm telling you, we are going to die tonight. We're going to die. They're crying out. They're delirious. They've been fighting. And the reality is, Jesus was the one that called them in the storm. He was the one, they were obeying the word of God and now they're in a storm. How have you ever found that in your own life? You're obeying the will of God and now you're in a flippant storm. Why am I in a storm? I thought it was gonna be peace. I thought it was gonna be grace. I thought it was gonna be easy. I mean, I'm following Christ. Now listen, the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust, which means we are not without rain. But we know the God who holds the rain and we can be confident that our eternal Life is set. Our eternal life is set. So these guys go in. They're stormtroopers. They go in, and God invites them into the storm. They battle, and these guys get weary. You see, sometimes we have to stop focusing on the storm and start focusing on our reaction to the storm. We've been, I've been saying this for 24 hours now, but I, I don't think I could stop communicating this. The storm you're hoping to stop so you can get it together, is probably not going to stop until you find the God who owns the storm and you get your gaze on him and then the storm, he'll speak to the wind and the waves. You know, Peter looks at him. He goes out on the wind and the waves. Jesus is looking at him And as long as Peter has his gaze on Jesus, he's at peace. The moment Peter looks around and begins to see circumstantially what's happening in his life is the moment he begins to sink under the pressure of the storm. Some of our sinking in the storm is because all we're doing is trying to make the numbers work. We're trying to make... The relationship work we're trying to make the ministry work and God is saying get your eyes off things that you don't full you cannot fully comprehend and get your eyes on me the safest place to keep your gaze I always said this Jesus wasn't teaching his disciples to walk on water or they would have been known as the water walkers of Jesus Do you notice that there was no other passage in the Bible where they're learning to walk on water? He's not like, if you want to be my disciple, you must follow me and learn to walk on water. We're going to have water walking training at 3 o'clock by the Sea of Galilee. Please meet me there. So why was it so important that Peter was walking on the water and Jesus wasn't teaching him to walk on water? I would suggest this. Jesus was teaching Peter about focus. Jesus was looking at Peter, and he was trying to communicate, focus, because he was saying, Peter, if you look at me, you're going to hit a lot more storms in your life. And we find this to be true. We find him in the Garden of Gethsemane, where he's cutting off a guy's ear. We find him at the foot of the cross, denying that Jesus is even, even the real Jesus, right? And then we find him. His gaze is all over the place. And Jesus is saying, look at me, Peter. Your safest place is the gaze. And then we find in Acts chapter 2, it's fascinating. Peter, after all of these crazy moments, Peter gets his eyes back on Jesus and leads the first worldwide revival of 3,000 souls into the kingdom of God. Why? Because he got his eyes back on Jesus. And some of us, our, our gaze is like on Jesus when we're at a conference. But our gaze, I'm telling you, the safest place your gaze can be on tomorrow morning is back on the face of Jesus, not on what is going to happen or what you think is going to happen, but simply at a place of safety with him. Our focus, Jesus, God promises, he doesn't, he doesn't promise that there won't be storms, but he does say, take courage, I've overcome the storm. Sometimes we need to stop praying for peace and we need to start believing we have the Prince of Peace living within us. Sometimes we have to stop asking for peace and we have to start walking in it. And saying, I'm not going to let this storm get in me. I'm not doing it. So I want to explain this passage. If you have your Bible, this is the place I'm going to have us hang out tonight. But if you have your Bible, I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 26. Where's Isaiah? Take your Bible, half it, open it up, and you're very close. And turn to Isaiah 26, because I want, us to, I under, I want you to understand something about peace tonight. Isaiah 26, 3 talks about the mind. Now I want you to understand, God has given you the mind of Christ. You have, you're called to have a peaceful mind. You're not called to be tormented all the time. You're not called to be analytical all the time. Now I want us, I want us to really see this, that the Bible says we're to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and all of our soul and all of our mind, which actually relates to and is translated intellect, you're supposed to love God. Now, a, a, a Christian life is not an unthinking life, contrary to popular belief. Sometimes we check our mind at the door. And I would, I would suggest that God isn't trying to get you to give up your intellect. He's trying to get you to surrender your intellect to begin to see what, what you cannot see in the natural, to believe for the supernatural. But He's not asking you, He's not gonna hit you with the dumb stick so you can be spiritual. He wants to use your natural intellect. But your peaceful mind is very important. And Isaiah 26.3 says this. If you're taking notes or you're underlining, this is the passage I want you to underline, circle, and hang out in. It says, you will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you Because he trusts in you. Now I want us to look at the Hebrew in this passage. Because this is going to show you a whole lot more of what he's talking about. I'm going to give you a way to keep your peace that you've never ever thought of. I really believe that. I believe God gave me a supernatural revelation about this passage. That's going to make it so easy to keep your peace in the midst of chaos. So when it says you will keep him in perfect peace. The word perfect is translated in the Hebrew shalom. How many of you have ever heard the word shalom? Shalom is a greeting in the Jewish culture of hello or goodbye. It's really about saying peace, I'm leaving you peace. And so what's interesting about this is the author says, you will keep him in shalom, shalom. And then he says, you will keep him in shalom. And then he says, peace. Now this is interesting. The author stutters. Because peace in the Hebrew means shalom. So it actually says in the Hebrew, you will keep him in shalom, shalom. I don't know if I'm the only one that found the first typo in the Bible, but maybe. Why would the author repeat himself? Wouldn't shalom do? (laughs) Why would he say it twice? Well, as I began to study this passage, I began to realize a few things. Now, when I first got pregnant with our firstborn, Judah, we, had, we were married, and then and three months later, I got pregnant. So we were doing something right, and when I got pregnant with Judah, people said to me, oh, you're going to love being a mom. Aren't you just going to love it? And I, I have to be honest, I wasn't like a major baby person, do you know, I like, I was like a puppy person, but I wasn't like, you know, like, there are certain people that, like, love babies. Do you know what I mean? Like, I have a best, one of my closest friends, she loves babies. It's almost like she can smell it when they walk in the room. She's like, I smell an infant. I mean, I, I am I'm confident that she, befer- that she befriends pregnant women just to use them for the infants that they have. I'm like, I'm almost confident that this is what Steph does. And so she's always holding the baby. She traveled with me for many years when I would travel with my infants. And she loves it. And she would hold them. And so people would say, oh, you just can't wait to have a baby? And I would think like, well, we'll see. And I don't know what it is, but when you're pregnant, everybody thinks you want to hold their baby. Have you ever been around people? They're like, I'm like, I'm already holding a baby. I don't need to hold your baby. Like, I'm already working here, you know? Like, I'm already cooking another baby. And so... They would say, you wait, wait to have a baby. And I'm like, well, we'll see. You know, I'm excited. We're going to have a baby, so we'll see. And, and so as we've got closer and closer to having Judah, I went into labor. And uh, 34 hours later, two hours of pushing and an emergency C-section, our little guy was here. Super fun. And um, super fun. And so when Judah got here, I was holding Judah. And the moment I held Judah, I was a baby person. I was that baby's person. Do you know what I'm talking about? I remember when the nurse came in and said, we want to weigh him and take his vitals. And I was like, no, this is my baby. Get your own baby. <laughs> like, I grew this one. You, you, commit, you can do whatever you need to do with him right here, right? I mean, of course, I'm kidding. I also was seeing deer in my room. I think I was hallucinating but, from the drugs. But ultimately, there was a lot going on. And, um, and so, as I'm, as I'm with Judah... I I learned about a few things about babies and about growing up, like holding babies and and growing babies. I don't know why I'm saying growing babies. It's interesting. Anyway, so there's something we all do in our culture when we want someone to be quiet. In fact, I've I've preached this in many different nations, and I find it's the same in, in many states and many nations. When we want someone to be quiet internationally, it's a sign. We do something like this. Come on, you know what I'm talking, I mean, you can go into a, a movie, you can go into Starbucks, you could go into a library, and if you want someone to be quiet, you go, shh, shh. If I do that to my boys, that's like, if I talk, you're in bigger trouble, right? Shh. And so, we all do it, we all know what it means, and we don't have to be like, well, what do you mean by that? We know what that means. It means be quiet, Right? But it's interesting when you have a baby, you'll notice when a baby starts to cry, you will do something entirely different. You're not trained with this. This isn't something that someone coaches you in, it's automatic. The baby begins to cry, and we do something like this. Shh, sh- sh- to soothe them, right? Have you ever done that with a baby or your spouse or your puppy, right? So we've all had moments where we have soothed, the ba- soothed, right? So no one's coaching us. Now, we don't get those mixed up. If you had a baby and you were in the hospital having an infant and the baby begins to cry and you're, shh, shh, they'd be like, give me the baby right now. Like, you just lost your baby. Like, we would, we would be like, that's very weird. Or if somebody walked into the theater and they were being loud and you were like, shh, There would be a lot of concern, right? This would not be a good thing. Well, this is what this passage is saying in Isaiah 26. It's saying this. It's not that God will keep you in perfect peace. He's not going to shush you into peace. That's not what this passage is saying. He doesn't go, I will keep you in shh. Get it together. Shh. Be spiritual. Shh. Shut your mind up. Shut it on higher things and get it together. Like the spirit of God in in our minds, he's not shushing us into peace. He's soothing us into peace. The Bible says that he will keep him in shalom, shalom, which actually means a repetitive peace, a continual peace, a peace that sustains. So when we go, I feel out of control, God, God goes, come here. Give me your thought. Come here. But God, what did that might be? Shh. It's okay. I'm good at this. I've been God for a long time. I'm very good at this. <laughs> right? He soothes us. So it's not like we're being shush so we can get it together. Like I have a lot of problems, I have an entire world to get it together. Could you shut your mind up and be quiet? No, no. He's like, Come here. I'm good at this. Come here. Come here. Let me, let me soothe you. You see, some of you, you're trying to shush your mind so that you can get into peace. And God's like, Give it to me. Come here. Give me your thoughts. Hang out with me. I'm going to soothe you into peace. So the Bible basically says, you will keep him in. You will soothe him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in you. That word stayed in the Hebrew means propped up, set upon, held up. So if I look at this, I would say, you will keep him in shalom, shalom, whose mind has been propped up. It's like my Bible being set upon this is what it means in this passage is he will take our thoughts and hold them up, set them up. Now, I didn't understand this until as I began to study this, the Lord reminded me of this moment in my life that was one of the worst moments in my entire life. We, I have four boys, right? You guys know that, and... There's a lot of crying that happens when you have four kids. Like, there's just no way around it. And there's a lot of pain that's inflicted when you have four boys. It's just kind of how it is. And so there's a lot of crying. My dad is very intense. And so my sister and I, we had seven kids, five and under. So it was like a daycare. Like, my parents, we were both single till we were 26. So there was, like, no babies, no nothing, and then bam, like, tons of babies, tons of chaos. And my dad would be like, are you going to get up for that cry? I'm like, I can't get up for every cry. I'll never sit down. Like, I only get up for blood cries. I only get up for like, slammed my head in the door cries. Like, I don't know, I'm kidding somewhat because I do run to my kids. But there is a part where people look at you and you're, you're discerning. All of us moms know and grandmas and we all know, we're listening, like what kind of cry is that? I, I think crying is a lot like thunder. If there's more silence after the thud, there's more pain. You know, it's like one 1,000, two 1,000, I'm getting up for this one. Do you know what I'm saying? like if there's just silence that's not a good sign at all. And so so we have a lot of crying in our house and my husband says that all he I I'm crying a lot in my house and cuz my boys are rough with me and um and so I'm getting ready. We moved to this new house. It's a two-story house. And I'm getting ready in the morning. And we're going to take the two littles. My my eldest two are at school. My two littles are at home. I'm going to take them. And we're going to get out of the house. And so I'm getting ready. And I told Beckham and Grayson, Beckham and Grayson, I want you to stay in this room. Play with your Legos. And I'll be right back in about a minute. So I go in. I start curling my hair. And all of a sudden, I hear a cry. And this cry is one of those cries that you feel it almost instantaneously. It's like a shiver. You just, whatever you're doing, you pause and you run because you know this is a bad cry. So I hear it. I can hear that it's Grayson, my third born son. And so I begin to look for him. I can't find him anywhere. I look in the room. The room is empty. I walk down the stairs and as I round the corner in the kitchen, we have these glass doors. Grayson is banging on the glass doors. So I walk over to him. I open up the glass doors and I look at him and I said, did Beckham lock you out? And he said, I fell out of the window! I said, you what? I fell out of the window! And I I thought I misunderstood him, so I picked him up. We we have a deck like this, so I walk down the deck, and I look up at our second story window, and the screen is broken. And I'm standing on cement, because that's the only place you could fall out of this window. So I take Grayson, and I look at him, and in the minute I look at Grayson, and it's all going very, very fast, like what's happening, I look over him, and blood just starts to come out of his mouth and down his body. And so I know enough that I need to lay him down right now because I don't know if there's head injury. I don't know what's going on in his body. I need to lay him down. I need to call 911. So I go in my kitchen, clear off the table, lay him down, call 911. I wish, I'd like to think that I was calm, but it's crazy when those moments happen. You just lose it. And I'm, please get here. My baby's okay. Please hurry up. And so they come in eventually and they start cutting his clothes off and putting the neck Brace on him, and they said, we have to take Grace to the hospital. Who's going with him? I'm, I'm going with him. Dad's here now with Beckham. I'm ready to go. So we get in the, in the ambulance. We get to the hospital, and we walk into the hospital. I had this eerie feeling. Part of the eerie feeling was that we had been there a year before for a near drowning for the same kid. We walk into the same room that we were there a year before. When we get in there, there's a team of doctors and nurses. They are professional. They know what they're doing. It's quiet. We walk in there. They start to work on Grayson, and they're asking questions. Where was Grayson? Has he moved? Is he crying? You know, they're doing all these things. Grayson is, is gone. He's terrified. He is not, you know, he's not reacting. He's just gone. And so the doctor says, listen, we've got to get, we got to find out what's going on in the inside of him. We don't know if he's hemorrhaging, so we need to take him down to radiology and, and figure out what's going on, who's going with him. I'm going with him. I'm his mom. I'm not leaving his side, right? So I, I hold his hand. We we go down to radiologist and radiology, excuse me. And when we get in the room, the technician meets us. It's just myself, Grayson, and the technician. He says, Mom, I need you to do two things for me. First thing I need you to do is I need you to look over Grayson. And say whatever you can to comfort Grayson and to, to, to really speak to Grayson. So, like, look over him and say anything you can. Keep talking, Mom. Don't stop talking. You need to keep talking. But the second thing I need you to do is we need the best scan we can because we don't know what's going on on the inside of him. And so, we need, we need him to not move. So, the best way to get him to not move is I need you to, to lean over him and put your hand under his neck so that when he goes in the machine, his body doesn't move. And I thought, I can, I can do those two things with all my might. I'll do it. So we le- I lean over him, and Grayson goes into the machine and out. It's this eerie, silent thing, because you're waiting. You don't know what's going to happen. And so I'm leaning over him, and he's, he's not with me. His eyes are open. There's blood stained all over his body. But he is not with me, but his eyes are open. He's looking at me. And I'm talking to him. Grace and Mommy loves you. Grace and Mommy loves you. you can be okay, baby. We're here to help you. It's okay, sweetheart. We're going to go in the machine. You're going to be fine. And you're just, just saying whatever because everything is happening so fast. He goes in the machine, comes back out, goes in the machine, comes back out. And I'm looking over his little face and you know when you're looking over your kid's face and you just see everything. You see his, him as a baby. You see him as a little boy. You see him you see all your dreams for your kid? Like, I can imagine you getting married and having babies, and you see his future. You're fully invested. And I'm looking at his eyes, and I'm just seeing everything. I'm mostly seeing dollar signs. No, I'm kidding. I'm just looking at him. And, and so as I'm leaning over Grayson and I'm talking to him, I'm just saying everything I know how to say. He comes back out on the third time, and he lets out this deep breath. Wow. And when he lets out, the, he exhales. exhales. All of a sudden, I look at him, and the color comes back in his face. His eyes, all of a sudden, he's with me, and he's looking at me. And I'm like, Grayson, Mommy's right here, baby. We got you, honey. Just stay right here, baby. You're going to be okay. And he's locked into me now. He's right there. So the technician comes around. He said, we got a good read. And I, I couldn't help myself. I reached out, and I grabbed the guy's arm, and I said, I said, is my baby going to die? I just need to know. <laughs> I, just, I just need to know. And he goes, well, I'm not allowed to say anything, but if there was a nurse with you, it would be really bad. And I, I remember looking at him and just saying, thank you so much. That's all I need to know. Like, thank you. So we start getting our stuff together. And we go to leave. And a nurse comes in to get us. And as the nurse comes in to get us, I go, get out right now. Get out right now. (laughs) I didn't, but I wanted to. So we go back into the room with Gray. And we're just waiting. And they're not allowed to say anything because it's legalities. And they just, you're just waiting. And eventually the doctor comes in about 20 minutes later, and he says, well, Mom and Dad, I have some amazing news. There's nothing wrong with Grayson. He said he went, when he fell and hit the cement, he cut his tongue, and the tongue bleeds a lot. And so all that blood was his tongue, and he said if it had been months later, his bones would have been firm, and they wouldn't have been as pliable, but because of his age, um, it's miraculous, but he's Okay. And he said, you're welcome to get your things and you're welcome to leave. And I said, well, he can leave, but I'm actually staying. And I'm checking in. And I, I would like some drugs, like, right now. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like, I need some drugs. You can get, all will rep- it's street drugs. I'll repent later. Like, just make this happen. Do <laughs> you know? And, um. As the doctors, this is their world. They're, like, happy to clear the bed to get the next person to help them. And you're, like, my whole life flashed before me and my little kids. And this could have changed my whole life. And you have to understand, we've lost people close to us. So I am very aware that it is the grace of God that Grayson's okay. That that there, we, I have, I was in the room when I lost someone that was like a brother to me. So I'm very aware of this. And so we go out to the parking lot and we're holding Grayson. And we kind of have him in this Grayson sandwich And I tears, both my husband and I, with tears streaming down our face, and we look at Grayson, and we look up to the sky, and we we say, "God, thank you for one more day with Grayson, because that's all we're really promised—one more day." And then we look at Grayson, and we said, "We are not coming back here next year, son. (laughs) You have three other brothers, and the medical deductible must be spread out equally to your brothers. And you are—you're being a little selfish. You keep taking the deductible, and mommy and daddy need some. You know, like we said." We, our kid, One of our kids will go to college. They just have to beat that one out, right? One of them will be paid for. So survival of the fittest. So as I'm studying this passage in Isaiah, I'm reminded of this moment in the room with Grayson. And the Lord shows me this picture of Isaiah 26. I will keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on me because he trusts in me. I will keep him in shalom, shalom, repetitive peace, whose mind has been propped up, held up, because he trusts in me. And the Lord says, that's the picture of what you were doing with Grayson in that room is exactly what I want to do for you. I want to lean over you in the midst of the hard things, in the things that we don't fully understand, the things that feel overwhelming, the things that feel like we're in trauma. And I want to lean over you and I want to talk to you. You see, the Spirit of God looks over your life and the the, the reality is, is that he is more invested in you making it than you making it. The Spirit of God is so invested in you, he sees his kids and his grandkids in your eyes. He sees the future of of the gospel within you. And he knows that when you're in the midst of chaos, you want to get out of there and you're not sure what's going on and you can't look around and you don't know what's happening. And he wants to lean over you and say, baby, you're going to make it. You're going to be okay. This isn't the end. You're going to be fine. I love you. Look at me. Don't look anywhere else. I've got you. And then he's going to come around and he's going to prop up our thoughts. When they feel like they're going to fall off. When they feel like there's nothing I can do. I want to move around. I want to look. I want to figure it out. I want to make sure I'm not going to miss a thing. God's like, stop moving around. Stop trying to get up. Sit right here. Let me hold you. And you, you may only be able to see my face. You may not be able to see everything that's happening in the room. But listen, the only way for you to get well is if you sit still. The only way for you to get well is for you to sit still and let me be God. I'm very, very good at this. I want to hold you. I want to speak peace over you. Some of you have had chaos since you were little girls. You've never had peace. Your marriage hasn't had peace. Your kids haven't had peace. AND YOU'VE SAID, WHAT IS GOING ON? AND THE SPIRIT OF GOD IS LEANING OVER YOU AND SAYING, WOULD YOU LET ME HOLD WHAT HAS BEEN CHAOTIC IN YOUR LIFE, WHAT HAS BEEN REPETITIVE, WHAT HAS BEEN controlling OR MANIPULATIVE OR WHATEVER IN YOUR LIFE. I WANT TO HOLD YOU TOGETHER. AND THIS IS WHAT'S SO IMPORTANT. MANY TIMES, WE ARE FINE, LAYING ON THE TABLE, BEING ALONE, NOT ASKING GOD TO COME. YOU KNOW WHY? BECAUSE WE DID SOMETHING WRONG AND WE BELIEVE WE DESERVE TO BE ALONE. Here's the truth. Grayson disobeyed me. I told Grayson to stay in his room. Grayson was jumping on the bed. He was jumping towards the window. Could you imagine if Grayson was in total chaos and I walked in and I said, you didn't obey me, Grayson. What's wrong with you? You know what? You're on your own. And when you fix yourself up, I'll be over here waiting for you. I'd be a sick parent, wouldn't I? Because in the midst of chaos and trauma, the parent, the good parent, wants nothing more than to run to the side of the child and help them. And I want you to hear this from me. If I say nothing else tonight, at this, this moment, the Spirit of God wants to lean over your life, and whether you think you deserve it or not, whether you've proven yourself worthy or not, whether you've figured it out, whether you have everything together, it doesn't really matter at this moment. What matters is that if you're going to have a heart of peace, a mind of peace, you're going to have to let him hold you together. You're going to have to let him hold you together. Why? Because there are things that are coming that are trying to shake peace out of you. There are storms that are coming to Alaska. There are storms that are coming to the political environment of Alaska. There are storms that are coming to the morale, the moral environment of Alaska. There are storms that are coming that I'm telling you, if we don't let God hold us together... Keep us in the midst of the storm. We will let go of what he once gave us. Listen, this church is 60 plus years old, right? I don't know, 50 something. Let me tell you, there were people, men and women of faith that held this together, that had a dream in their heart, and you're part of it. There are people that showed income and, and, and their time and their talents and set up and tore down a, bu- a building all so that you could gather this year from all over the region to gather to hear about God's heart for you. That's beautiful. That's someone sacrificed for you to be in this room. That's beautiful. But there's, there is a shaking that's coming, and if we don't start to own, own that part of us that allows ourselves to get shook, then we will miss what God has. Some of us right now, and I'm telling you, even in my own life, I am a little bit high strung. I know it kind of shocks you. I seem very calm, but I promise you, I'm actually pretty normal to live with. People always go, are you really intense to live with? I'm like, no, this is about as intense as I get. And my husband and I are pretty normal people, okay? So I'm not married to ministry. I'm married to a real man, and I like my real life. You know what I mean? So I'm not trying to start. but, But what I will say is that if I try to work out how my life is going to work out, I won't have peace because things don't add up. It doesn't add up. And there's too many f- messages of fear. If you put on the news, there's too many messages of fear that are coming at us all the time. And so your peace has to be something different. It's not an outward, it's not about clearing your mind and having a peaceful yoga atmosphere. This is about you having peace when it doesn't when you can't understand it. It's a peace that surpasses your understanding. When people say this is chaotic, you should be losing it. I can't believe this is happening. You're saying, "I know, but I have peace." In fact, I kind of feel like the spirit of God is soothing me into peace, and he's holding me together, and I don't know how this is happening cuz on paper it doesn't add up. But in my spirit, it adds up. It's just, it's, it's it's confirming within me that this is the real thing. This is the real thing. I believe that our peace is going to be the thing that distinguishes us from all other people on the earth. And I don't mean that as like a romantic idea of, of Christianity. I mean, like, people like to be in chaos. I don't know about Alaska, but where I am and the news I'm watching and the Facebook posts I'm watching, good Lord. Can we just talk about Facebook for a minute? Like, you are not a Facebook preacher. Stop it. Leave it alone. Be a person of peace in these environments. People will notice if you stir things up or if you are a person that's trying to keep the peace. And I don't mean settling in sin and allowing things to go on, but I'm talking about having a spirit of peace. The Bible says, blessed are the peacemakers. And there's something about, listen, there's a difference between somebody who's trying to keep the peace and is so afraid and embarrassed they don't want to say anything. And it's totally different when someone says, I could, but I won't. I'm going to actually hold my tongue and fight for peace in this environment because that's what matters. Not who's right or who's wrong, but the spirit in which I come and the way that people experience me. Because I want to have a redemptive moment in my relationship with them. And if all I'm doing is fighting for what's right or what's wrong, It's going to be a short conversation. God wants to give us a steady mind, a mind that stays in a place of trust. And Satan would love nothing more than to get our minds on anything except God. When we trust in God, we keep our minds stayed on him. Proverbs three five says, "Trust in the Lord with all your heart, and lean not on your own understanding." That word "lean" in the Bible is the same word as "stayed." So what he's saying is, is trust in God, and don't lean on all the things you can try to figure it out. Don't put your mind on what you've figured out already, but put it on God and trust God. Trust Him with your life. The battles for trust in our lives begins in our minds. Your greatest battle field will be in your mind. Obviously, there's a great book by Joyce Meyer called The Battlefield of the Mind. It's a New York Times bestseller. It's her number one seller. It hasn't stopped being number one seller because it's phenomenal, and you need to buy that book called The Battlefield of the Mind, and you need to read it over and over. Some of you, your mind dominates you in such a way that it doesn't matter how many steps I give you to doing hard things well, your mind takes you right back down to here. And so you're going to have to fight and begin to renew. How do you renew? I'll give you a really practical step on how to renew your mind. This is how it works in my life. You may you may be more complicated than this. But I remember every environment you go into, you have to have new thoughts for. So you know how it is, like, the moment you get married, you have to have new thoughts as a married woman. Do you remember that? All of a sudden, you couldn't be, like, the cutest girl in the room. It didn't matter. You were married. I mean, it shouldn't matter. If it matters to you, I'm, you know, that's not good. Okay, and then... You know, when you have a baby, then all of a sudden I have to have new thoughts for being a mom. And if you start a ministry, I've got to have new thoughts. Or, or you get promoted at work. You have to have a new thought for how people see you. You're no longer just a coworker; Now you're a boss. You're a leader. People see you differently. And your mind can be your worst enemy. So you've got to go after your thoughts. And you've got to realize and give yourself grace to realize you're going to have to have new thoughts for every environment. It's just important. you got to go after it. It's very important. Even seasonally. Some of you are in winter right now in your spirit, and you need a different mindset. There's nothing more annoying than having a friend who's in spring and you're in winter. They're like, God, oh, it's just great. He's doing so much. You're like, really? I haven't seen the sunlight in like five months Or in five years. You know, like, we all go through seasons. Like, I don't know if anyone's ever taught you that, but you will go through seasons in God. God created seasons, and it's filled. The scriptures are full of people going through different seasons. So what's really wise is that you learn your season, and you give yourself grace to know the season you're in, and don't be annoying to those people that are not in the same season. Don't look around, okay? So here's how we renew it. I remember going to Bethel, and Bethel is... You know, I was a big fish in a little pond when I was growing up and, and as a teaching pastor at our church, and I'm teaching every, every five weeks, five services, and I'm learning to grow in the word, and I'm, but I'm the only woman. I'm the only uh, speaker at that point, a, a pastor, that's a teaching pastor. I've never done this. I didn't, people go, what do you think about it? I'm like, I don't know. If God can use a mule, maybe he could use a woman. I, I don't know. I'm not here to like make a big, you know, argument about that, but, uh, you know, I wasn't, I, I don't necessarily think I was leading. I might, I think I was influencing, but that's my opinion. But um, as I'm speaking, all of a sudden I go to Bethel. Now, Bethel is a, a very large pond with a, a lot of large fish. And so this one guy says to me, Oh, you wait. Every insecurity you've ever had is going to come up in the next three months. And I'm like, no, that's not going to happen. By month two, I'm like, oh, Jesus. Who am I? I'm nobody. Like, what's wrong with me, right? Have you ever had those kind of, you're like, I felt like I was pretty confident. And then, like, we went to the beach. And all of a sudden, I have to get in my bathing suit. And now, all of a sudden, I'm not as confident as I thought. I thought I looked good, but I look good in, like, a parka and jeans. I don't necessarily look good in a one-piece. Like, you you know what I'm talking about, right? It's about environments, right? And so... And so I get there and all of a sudden I'm, and I'm not an insecure person, meaning I have dealt with insecurity, but I've also really renewed my mind and trusted God and stepped out of fear and into faith. So I knew that there was a different battle going on and I knew that I could figure this out if I just asked God to help me. And so I'm walking through, do you guys have WinCo here? WinCo, it's kind of like, um, like think Walmart and then think below Walmart. That's what a WinCo is but it's cheap and when you have kids you got to feed kids. So I'm walking in Winco. It's like you bag your own groceries to save money. That's kind of what it works looks like. So so I'm in there and I walk by the office supply section in the grocery store. Does anybody ever feel drawn to the office section? In the, I don't know what it is. I literally am like, I need eight different color post-it notes. Like, I don't know what that is. Does anybody else feel a drawing? I don't know what that is. And I'll come home with boxes of pencils and pens. And my husband's like, we already have this. I'm like, I know. I just, I felt impressed in my heart to get this. So I'm walking through the office section of WinCo. And I see those little flip charts. You know, those like three by five cards that have the little rings on them and you can flip the cards. And the Lord says, I want you to buy that. I'm like, okay, pop it in 97 cents, throw it in my cart, keep going. And so now I go in that morning, the Lord says, I want you to take this and I'm gonna teach you how to renew your mind. I'm like, okay, game on, let's do it. So the Lord says to me, you know all those crazy thoughts that are going through your head? I'm like, "Mm mm-hmm, very aware of those. He said, I want you to take every single page and I want you to write down every thought that you have that's negative. Like, not every thought, but the, the concepts. So, the first thing I write is, I'm a horrible wife. I know. No, I'm kidding. Okay, so let's, only women, when you preach to women, do they go, oh, only women. Someone said, what's it like? I said, I would rather preach to women than anybody. It's like having a room full of moms. They're like, you're doing a good job, I'm with you. You go to a youth group and you try to preach to youth. And you will just give up your ministry if you're not anointed. Someone said, you, you want biblical training? Go preach to the youth group. You'll see how cool you feel. So I still have this feeling when I preach to youth. I'm like, I feel like I'm a really awesome person. Like, and I, they're like, mm-hmm, sure, mm-hmm. So, so I start to write, I'm not a good wife. And then I flip the thing, I'm not a good mom. And then I flip the page. I never do anything fully Right. And then I flip the page. I never have enough time. And I just begin to write everything. Now, I want you to understand, I love God. I'm a Bible-believing girl. I like to call myself a word girl. I love the word. Oh, my gosh. That was very close. I just wet my pants just a little. And um, when you have four kids, it's just kind of real. Do you know what I mean? Like, So... Look, you guys are, the people that are judging me don't have four kids. I just forgive you right now. You will understand. You will understand. So as I begin to write these, the Lord, I, I go into spiritual mode. I'm just going to write all the scriptures to this and like clean it up and make it beautiful and maybe laminate it and start selling them. Like, I mean, that's where my head goes. And the Lord says, I don't want you to do that. I actually don't want you to do your normal, natural, theological, this is a scripture that goes with a lie, and you're good. I actually want to teach you about what my thoughts are for you, and I want to give you your truth, your rhema word. I'm like, okay, so I get to the first one, you're not a good wife, because I didn't feel like a good wife. And partly was that, you know, I'm not like my mom, and I'm not like a traditional woman, and I'm kind of crazy, and I'm a little neurotic, and... Uh, you know, I'm I'm, I'm not very focused, and I have no concept of time. I just have no concept of time. My husband's like, when are we ever going to watch the clock? I'm like, probably never. Like, that's why I married you, is so someone can pump my gas, carry my big bags and boxes, and tell me what time it is. Like, that's really the three elements to marriage for me. (laughs) Does anybody else like that? Like, I married someone, so I don't have to carry groceries in. Like, that's really part of that, right? So, I'm just being cheeky. It's Saturday night. It's okay. It's okay. We can relax a little bit. I feel like I've given you enough theological backing to be a little bit cheeky. So the Lord shows me the scripture, which I didn't even know was there. He who finds a wife finds a good thing. So I write on it, I'm a good thing. I'm a gift. Yeah. Then I go into there's not enough time. And the Lord says to me, no, no, no. There's plenty of time for the things I've called you to. So I write that down. Then I say, I'm not good at anything. And the Lord's like, what lie are you believing? That perfection is expected. And the Lord says to me, I am not interested in perfection. I'm interested in progress. And so I begin to write for every lie a truth about how what God was speaking to me. It may not apply to you, but it applied to me. And then I took that little flip chart. And every morning with my cup of coffee, and as I was feeding my baby, I would flip that chart. Read the lie, read the truth. Read the lie, read the truth. Then I would go to a doctor's appointment, and I would sit in the waiting room, and I'd flip out that chart, open it. For an entire year, I would do this. And what happened was this, when the enemy would come and say, look at you, you're a horrible wife, all of a sudden, I would have the truth at hand. No, 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 I'm a gift. All of this is a gift to my husband all of it. Right? I'd look at my husband and be like, all of this is a gift to you. Like, he's like, okay. Um, or I go, oh, there's not enough time. And then, and then I would hear, I would go, no, no, no. There's plenty of time to do the things God's called me to. Right? Right? or I'm I can't do anything right. No, 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 no. God's just looking for progress. He's not looking for perfection. And I would begin to renew my mind so that it was at hand. You know, that's what kept me powerful. The hard things didn't change. I still had four kids. I was still 30 pounds overweight. I was still broke. I was still trying to figure out my life. I was still, I mean, I, I was trying to figure out what was going on. I didn't, I didn't know that life would turn out like this. I had no idea. I was moved away from everybody. I was by myself. I was trying to figure it out. It was, I said to the Lord, could not all my dreams happen at one time? Like, could we just have spread them out a little? So that way I could have had kids at one point and then a ministry. Why do we have to do it all at the same time? But what was happening was I was staying powerful. And this is where I want you to be in your hard stuff. Listen, it's no one else's job to renew your mind but yours. And there is no pastor or preacher or speaker or worship leader or prophetess or prayer team leader or parent that's called to renew your mind. No one's gonna talk you out of demonic thoughts. No one's gonna sit there and coach you at one o'clock in the morning. It's your job to renew your brain your mind. It's your job to lean on God. It's your job to let him soothe you. It's your job to say, you know what? I could figure this out, but I'm actually going to choose to be meek, which is, we- which is strength-controlled. I'm going to choose that right now, and I'm not going to try to figure it out, and I'm not going to navigate, and I'm not going to call so-and-so to figure it out. I'm going gonna... <sighs> to... You know, that's part of being a spiritual woman, is when we don't actually try to always figure things out. There's a lot of warning in the Bible about women being busybodies. And part of it is we are really good at solving problems because we usually have to solve a lot of them. But there is something about a meek woman, a mature woman, a godly woman, who says my main objective is not to figure it out. My main objective is to keep my eyes on Jesus. Point to Jesus. Gaze at Jesus. Stop waiting for your spouse to figure it out. You're not the most perfect spouse. There's a point where I had to go, you know, I'm not the perfect spouse. I might be the problem here. The best thing I can do is keep my eyes on Jesus and stay focused on him. So how do we keep our peace? And I'll close with this. We keep our peace by trusting in the Lord, leaning on him, renewing our mind. The Bible says in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 9, When your fathers tempted me, proved me, and saw my works 40 years ago, why would the author of Hebrews say, and he's talking about the Israelites, that they tempted God? Why would they say that the Israelites tempted God? Well, this is interesting. Tempted is an old Greek word meaning to put to a test, to test an object, to see if its quality is as good as the others have claimed, boasted, and advertised. When I first moved to Reading, someone said to me, oh, oh, have you eaten, have you had a Buddha bowl yet? And I'm like, what's a Buddha bowl? Well, it's this little place called Wilda's. It's in Reading. It's only open three or four hours a day. It's during lunch. And a Buddha bowl comes in a little Chinese takeout box and it's got brown rice, black beans, fresh cilantro grilled chicken it's got some like jalapenos how many of you are getting hungry right now let's just talk about this and then it has this like aioli creamy sauce on top of it with this vinaigrette it's just you eat it with chopsticks it just feels healthy just eating it but when you first eat it you're like this is okay but can it really be this good It's not until the next day, when you start making up excuses to go to Will and then you start hiding Chinese boxes in the back of your car, do you realize bootables are just as good. And this is really what the Bible is saying, is that sometimes the hard stuff in our lives, God wants to confirm to us that He is as good as everybody else says He is. But you cannot take it on hearsay you actually have to experience it yourself. And the only way for you to experience it yourself is to actually go through things where God becomes God and goes goes bigger than you would have ever thought he would. The only way for you to do the hard things in life well is for you to do them. (laughs) We've been saying this all along, there is no easy out. You're going to have to do what's in front of you and you're gonna have to sober up, focus, get busy, and trust God. Lean in. Get your gaze on Him. Start loving yourself well. Start forgiving and releasing hope in your life. Start taking responsibility for the things that you want to give to somebody else. Start getting your power back. Start staying powerful. Start stewarding the life that God's given you in such a way that when hard things come, you won't fear. Remember this. James, James, the beginning of our whole study started with this, with this word, which was trials and tribulations will come. But if you persevere, if you persevere, if you grow, if you lean in, your faith will be complete. Lacking nothing, lacking nothing. We lack when we avoid. We lack when we don't trust. We lack when we get our gaze off Jesus. And some of you tonight, you have, you're right in the middle of a storm and the devil has lied to you and said you did something wrong and there's something going on and you miss God and that's why it's so hard. And I just wanna tell you right now, that's not true at all. The spirit of God has asked you to walk into this moment and it feels like a storm, but what's happening is he's about to reveal himself to you like you've never seen him before because he's training you for where you're going some of you right now, you said, you've said, God, I want to know you and I want to be a godly woman and I want to be a spiritual leader. And God's saying, well, then learn how to do the hard things well, because that's how you help people. It's not on the shore. You help people in the storm. And that's how real life works. So I want to pray with you tonight. It's been such a beautiful weekend and..." to say this, sorry. Almost 10 years ago, I sat in a hospital room with a guy that was like my brother. He was a firefighter, he was a wakeboarder, and he was doing tricks out on our lake and he hit his head one too many times and was life flighted to a hospital room. They put him, they induced him into a coma and he sat there for 28 days as we prayed every single day fasted and prayed that Ryan would be well. We did everything we knew how to do to get Ryan to be well. We even thought we had the word of the Lord that said Ryan was gonna be well. And at the end of it all, the doctor came in and said, that Ryan's lung had burst, the lake water had lingered too long, and that Ryan was gone. So we gathered in a room with my parents, myself, his sister, and his best friend. We sang, prayed, we turned off the machine, we said our goodbyes. And when I left that hospital, I was so offended at God. I said, God, we did everything you wanted us to do. We We prayed. We prophesied. We fasted. We had teams worshiping for 28 days. We did everything. And you took Ryan. Why did you take Ryan? God, you're going to have to make that up to me. I don't know how. But how are you going to figure this out? It's not like Ryan can come back. But you keep saying you make all things beautiful. And it doesn't feel like it's going to be beautiful. And it wasn't offended where I wouldn't have a relationship with God, but I remember thinking, this doesn't make sense, and I wonder how you're going to turn this around. Five years later, I'm speaking in Lake Tahoe. I'm at a women's con- little women's retreat up there, and Ryan's sister, Jen, is pregnant. She's about a month before she's about to give birth, and she says, hey, I'm in the hospital. They're checking my fluids. They're a little low. Would you come and uh, come talk to me? Come keep me, you know, company and so i was in between sessions so i drive over there to see her as we're sitting in this room with her mom and her dad and her husband and my mom's with me she goes into labor the doctor says well you're going to have this baby and so i got up to leave because you should never be at a birth you're not invited to so i got up to leave and she looks at me and she says i want you to stay here don't leave i want you in this this birth i i'll do anything you're in labor i'm here So we're sitting in this room, and all of a sudden, Jen gives birth to this beautiful baby girl. We're all in the room, and when she holds the baby, she says, I'm gonna name this little girl Ryan after her brother. And so we're weeping because we know, like, this is a beautiful moment. It's remembering her brother, and we've spent every holiday with them. They're our family. We didn't even spend the holidays. We went to Disneyland and walked around. We were just shell-shocked, and I said, As I look at baby Ryan, the Lord says, I want you to look around this room right now. And as I look around the room, I realize that every person that was in the room that said goodbye to Ryan was in this moment of birth. And I thought, God orchestrated. Now, I understand that baby isn't Ryan. We're not, we don't believe in reincarnation. We're not Buddhist. Like this isn't where we're going, right? But the Lord said, I told you I'd make it up to you. I told you I'd make it beautiful. And we're weeping and yeah, Ryan isn't back. Ryan's in heaven hopefully waiting for us. But what I did understand at that moment was that God was gonna make it up to us the best he could on a, an earthly level and that heaven was gonna hold a whole lot more. And the truth is there are some things in our life that we feel like, God, how are you gonna make this up? How's it gonna get better? You're right, on an earthly level, there's really no way that it could all, the person can't come back. Things can't change, the years are gone. But God is going to redeem it the best he can on an earthly level. And in eternity, there will be a moment of glory where all things will make sense. And we will rejoice realizing that God was true to his word. All things are beautiful in its time. All things are beautiful in its time. I felt like some of you needed to hear that tonight. Like there was a moment about that, that somebody in this room needed to hear that story so you can do the hard things well this week and this year and for the rest of your life. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your grace that's in the room right now. I thank you that you're taking us from glory to glory, and sometimes the two feels very long, but we're gonna be okay. Some of you tonight, I feel like you're like, you know, I feel like I need a new level of peace. I'm going home to to a relationship that's chaotic. I'm going home to a work environment that feels hostile. I'm going into a community where i just i need peace i need a peace that passes my understanding i have a kid at home that feels chaotic i've got finances bills that are coming in that i know have a lot i need to stay powerful i've learned a ton of things but honestly my greatest fear is i'm not going to stay powerful that what i've learned i'm not going to know how to walk out and i'm going to lose my peace and i want a sustaining peace if that's you i want you just to stand right now don't hesitate don't stop just stand there that's me I knew there would be a lot of us because that's real life. Just stand. It doesn't matter. Again, it's your experience. It has nothing sometimes to do exactly with the outward. It has everything to do with your inner man to figure out, how am I going to do this well? And I feel like there's breakthrough tonight. Like, I feel like you're going to be able to figure this out and there's a breakthrough coming for you. So Holy Spirit, I just pray for every woman that's standing right now. Lord, there are some of them that are going into a chaotic experience, a toxic environment. They're going into a place where they feel powerless. And I ask sovereign God that you would rise up within them and remind them that they are, they are strong for the pulling down of strongholds. They are mighty. They are the head and not the tail. They are above and not beneath. The greater is he that is in them than he that is in the world and there is no weapon formed against them that will prosper tonight and from here on out and I just declare over them that there is nothing we say prince of peace rise up within them and remind them that peace is their portion remind them that peace is their portion they don't have to they don't have to figure it out you're going to soothe them right now let the spirit of God soothe you right now let the Spirit of God pull you out in the midst of the storm. I, I want you, just we, we sung about it, we sung it tonight, but get your eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of your faith. The one that knows exactly what you need to do. The one that has, is holding everything. The wind and the waves. He can speak to them. But first, we gotta get our eyes on Him. Some of you You know transition is coming and you've been resisting because you're afraid of what you're going to do next. And I want to declare over you, stop the fear. We say no to fear and yes to love right now. We say no to fear and yes to love right now. We just speak over you in Jesus' name. Can you lead us in maybe just a chorus of something and then I want us to do one more thing tonight. Let's just sing this together. Holy Spirit, I just we just worship you and I just ask for grace over each of these women tonight.
1: You are good. You good. Oh. You are good. You good.
0: Jesus. Just lift your hands for a minute. Holy Spirit, touch them right now. Touch them right now. Reach deep inside right now. We say no to fear. Yes to love. You're holding them steady, God. You're soothing them into peace, God. You're propping up their thoughts right now. They're going to walk in to the next season with an anointing. No more feeling discouraged. No more feeling beneath. No more feeling out of control. They're going to feel a peace and a strength right now. I just declare that over you right now. All my young moms, there's a peace coming into your home. In the midnight hour, you're going to hear the voice of God speak to you. You're not missing out. You're preparing your world changers. You're not missing out. You're preparing your world changers. So receive grace to to be the leader, the spiritual leader in that environment for your kids. I just speak it out over you right now. Holy Spirit. Some of you, you've got a song that's been waiting to be released and you haven't released it yet. And God's saying, let it come out. Let there be a song, a new song that you've mean, I feel like there's songwriters in this room. And I just want to say this, and we're going to, this is what I kind of want to end with, but I feel like there's a breakthrough waiting for this region. I feel it. I sense it. I think there's a breakthrough coming. And I even the reality that there's unity in this room with such a unity that you would never know there were different communities. You just wouldn't. It feels like a church. It feels like we're together. That is profound and it's sovereign and it's supernatural. And it tells me God's about to do something in this community. And here's what I think. Here's what I want to do tonight. If you are a leader at, at, at the churches that are represented here, I want you, I want us to make like a little prayer tunnel here so that means it's you're like what does that even mean all it means is we stand facing each other with space in the middle so come if you're a leader i want us to just stand like right here Mm -hmm. yep yeah ministry team's great too if you're here and what i'm gonna do is this we're gonna sing like you're on the verge of a breakthrough and you want you want hands laid on you you want there to be a closure to what God's done in the midst of this event you feel like there's a new season and you just want to be blessed before you leave to do the hard things well in your life I'm going to invite you as the band plays I love this I'm going to invite you to walk through we're going to start on this side we're going to walk through and all they're going to do is lay hands on you and they're going to anoint you because you're anointed you're godly women you're anointed to be in your environment. And I'm sorry if touch isn't your love language. Don't worry. They're not going to touch you in, your, in any no-no places. They're just going to touch you on your shoulders or on your head. And they're going to pray for you. And if you go, I didn't feel anything. And no worries. It's just a spiritual act of saying, I want God to do what he wants to do in my life. And I want him to complete this work. So, All they're going to do is they're going to begin to play, and you're just going to walk through, and we're going to take some time, and they're just going to lay hands on you. Is that okay? And uh, we'll go from there. So let's do this. walking through here, I really feel God touching you. I don't know who it is with the heart issue, but I saw God really touching your body. So I just speak that over you. Healing, you can get healed walking right through this group as they lay hands on you.